You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a wealth cap holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hi, everybody. Uh, Devin here, your host for the Portfolio Builders podcast. I'm super excited that we have Lou on today. If you heard us chatting just a little bit there um, as we were getting the live up and running, uh, I've not had an opportunity yet to really chat with Lou and learn all about your history, the background of your company, which has been in business forever. Uh, but I'm really excited to get to hear your perspective and share with everybody basically, you know, a little bit about what it's like owning investment property out of state, specifically having to do with the property management. So for the folks that are watching us live, or if you're listening to the podcast later and you don't know who Lou Baldwin is, Lou, would you introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about your background? You've got like 87,000 awards um, professionally and the, you know, the history of the, the business that you're running there in the North Carolina market. Absolutely. Thank you, Devin. And uh, thank you for having me on the podcast today. I enjoy working with you and the other folks at uh, WealthCap and uh, kind of growing our businesses together there. So that's something that uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to do. And uh, yes, we're a company that was founded in 1928 by my grandfather. And uh, he was here for a number of years. My father was here for a number of years, but I've actually owned the company for 33 years now. So I've been the only uh, Baldwin on board here for most of my career and have uh, enjoyed the opportunity to grow this business substantially uh, over that period of time when my grandfather and father were here. They were the, the only broker, the only property manager, had a few folks uh, working in the office type of thing. And we've really been uh, fortunate to grow it into a good sized property management and commercial and investment sales operation, working with investors, working with developers. Um, of all of all sizes, from the owner of a single family house up to the owner of larger multifamily properties, commercial buildings, office retail, uh, self storage, on down the the product line. So that's been exciting to get to uh, work with a lot of investors, see their portfolios grow, and to uh, grow our company with them. Yeah, that is, I, I love working with investors and we were chatting a little bit previously, like I did uh, residential real estate and then over a little bit of time, I figured out I, I liked working with the investors best um, within that realm of residential real estate. So we, we share that love uh, for the investors. And um, what I want to really dive into today is a lot of those hangups that people have when it comes to investing out of state, when it's not in their backyard, they can't touch it, feel it. You know, there's a lot of concern primarily around the property management aspect. And in my opinion, that is one of the biggest pieces when you're investing out of state is making sure that you have, you have the right partners in line. Um, and Baldwin has been an amazing partner for us to work with. You're managing all the properties pretty much in our portfolio um, and for pretty much all of our clients. And uh, I just want to know, what do you think are some of the most important things for first-time investors to know about property management from a distance? What does the property management do, not do? What is the responsibility of you guys versus the owner? 
Absolutely. And so for the out-of-state investor, first of all, I would say a company like ours, it doesn't necessarily apply to every property management company, but we're experienced with that. Over uh, several decades, we've seen really waves of out-of-state investors come to North Carolina for various reasons. The first big wave had to do with California. And when prices really blew up out there for real estate and it drove cap rates and return on investment there down, California investors started looking elsewhere. Mm -hmm. and a lot of times, uh, this is going back 20 years, educational opportunities would pop up in California where somebody would identify markets around the country where they thought returns were better uh, than in California and identified North Carolina as one of those and identified our company as a good company to manage the properties for them all the way across the country. So we gained a lot of experience for that. At one point, in about an 18-month period of time, we picked up 300 separate California investors. Wow. Uh, anywhere from one to five single-family homes is what that particular wave was. There was another wave a few years later that was a multifamily wave. And um, we picked up a lot of multifamily investors in this part of North Carolina, where uh, Winston-Salem, Triad area, where our company's headquartered. Um, so we have experience with that. We understand the time difference between California and here, when to call mm -hmm. a client, when not to, <laughs> and things like that. But also that an out-of-state investor does need another level of comfort, that their property's in good hands, um, and that their manager is going to communicate with them and keep them informed uh, regarding their property. When I look at our processes, they don't really vary greatly between a local investor or mm -hmm. an out-of-state investor. They're wanting the same service from us. And there's plenty of local investors that don't really go buy their property and touch it and whatnot on any kind of basis. They hired professional property management because they wanted a buffer between them and tenants. Can uh, I get a yes and, and an amen? <laughs> so that's where we come in handy. And it really shouldn't matter uh, where you are. We have some international clients um, mm -hmm. that have properties here that we manage for. So our services, I think, uh, and especially in today's world of you know, remote access to our uh, to information on their property through us and through our portal to their funds being delivered electronically, their statements being delivered electronically, uh, those services have, can happen uh, pretty instantly uh, wherever the client may be. Yeah, I have like... I, I talk to a ton of investors one-on-one -on -one every day and I let them know, like I have at, um, Birmingham is one of our markets. That's two hours from Nashville. You know, we don't do any property here in Nashville because the numbers don't work here. It's, it's a market like, like California you were using in your example, the cap rates are, are just shot. You know, the appreciation is insane. You can't, it, you, the numbers don't work here. Um, but Birmingham is one of our markets. I have a house there that I've never seen. It's a two hour drive. I've never seen it. But I also have a house in Missouri that I did the work on myself, like my own two hands. And I'm so emotionally invested in that house that right now I will not sell it. And I should sell it because that would be the smart thing to do. So I love to share with people just from my own experience, I make a lot more rational decisions 
just based on numbers with the houses that I own that I've never seen. Uh, I've never touched them. I didn't do the rehab on them. I'm not married to them, you know, and that's been a big, a big learning experience for me. Um, just knowing that like I can be more rational if I'm, if I'm less involved, but for, you know, let's say there's a new investor that they chat with me. They're like, yeah, I want to do this. I'm ready to invest. They pick up a wealth cap property and it's in your market. What do the steps look like for the new investor? Once we've, we've identified a house, they're getting ready to close on it. We've rehabbed it. We've gotten it ready. And we're basically kind of handing them over to you to be in your care. Um, what do the steps look like for that new owner when you guys start doing what you do to get a tenant in there? Good question. So step one is always uh, understanding what our services are mm-hmm. and coming to an agreement to provide those services, which is well known as the property management agreement, or we might call it the PMA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're wanting to, if your investor is not an experienced investor and hadn't been through the PMA before, we're certainly available to talk to them about the different clauses in a management agreement and what they mean and to go over those with them. Because uh, folks are associated with wealth cap, we uh, negotiated the rates for the property management agreement in advance. So uh, I think that saves a lot of issues and problems of trying to do that kind of thing one at a time. And I think you're comfortable with me saying that wealth cap investors get the exact same deal that wealth cap gets. Yep. Um, and wealth cap, uh, you know, has a, a size we get a pretty good deal. <laughs> properties yeah. with us. But I think that says a lot about y'all and how you're treating your investors as well, that you share, you share your good deal. Uh, with everybody. And we agreed to that on the front end. But the property management agreement really outlines what we'll be doing in regards to marketing a property, in regards to what our level of care and collections and helping uh, keep up with maintenance on your property, tenant relations, tenant retention, reporting, and all of those things that are important to an owner of property. And we very much understand that um, that some new investors are going to need more handholding in the um, early going, and we're fine with that. That's part of the process of, of uh, learning the investment world and getting comfortable working with a professional manager. So we're here for them on that. Uh, I think it's gone very well so far. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, there is a lot to learn, but at the same time, like you say, the more hands off almost an investor becomes, and dealing a little more purely with, with what the facts of a situation are, uh, rather than being too emotionally attached to each and every uh, day's update on, uh, on your property. It actually is a more efficient and healthy ownership situation and management situation. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, for me, like I've been in this industry for a long time, not a big deal. I get that with the first one, an investor may have a lot more questions. Um, kind of like getting their first loan. There's a lot of questions. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going on. But I found from a lot of, we have a ton of repeat investors 
that first one, they may have a lot of questions. And then when they get on their second one, it's like riding a bike. They know what to expect, what's going to happen. But um, it's awesome that you guys are there to, you're going to pick up the phone. You can answer the questions, walk them through. This is what this agreement says. It's on paper. So we know who's doing what. And then at that point, the investor signs their PMA. The house is vacant. You guys are going to start doing what you do. What does that process look like? And what can the, what can the investor expect in terms of updates, timeframes, you know, just in general, there's a lot of variables there, um, but just advice for the total newbie. Absolutely. Uh, one thing is that our experience in working with WealthCap is that y'all are great at keeping us informed of the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So often you're, rehabbing properties prior to selling to an investor and we're already in the know on what's coming down the pipeline if our uh, managers are in that area they may be dropping by during the construction project getting an idea of what this house is going to be like uh, and and whatnot so that can be a very early uh, step in this but if you've turned it over to us we're going out there uh, right away and we're taking an inspection of the property. And if we see something that may have gotten by construction or may just be slightly different than what construction was feeling about it, we'll give y'all WealthCap that feedback or if it's a new owner turning it over to, at that point, we would give them that feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great things about working with y'all and your properties is that you do an outstanding interior upfit. Uh, for sure. So I love a lot Thank of the you. things that WealthCap uh, does with often having new appliances, new cabinets, countertops, um, it, where practical, a lot of luxury vinyl plank flooring. I love the LVP. I think Me it's very too. marketable. I think it's very low maintenance, mm-hmm. durable, and can really uh, turn a house around. So that's a great starting point, but we will get feedback if uh, we see something there, interior or exterior, that we think may make the property more attractive and marketable. Generally, y'all also all also done your homework on what market rates might be mm-hmm. and uh, present us with what you found the range to be, uh, while at the same time being very open if, from our market knowledge. We think you're uh, high or low, we'll always share that with you. Uh, one thing that new investors should kind of be aware of as a norm, which is it's okay to test the market at the highest rent you think you might possibly get. You can always go down. Uh, You can't really go up. And we are in a market that uh, has changed a lot. And sometimes I think it's changing every two or three months. And in recent Mm -hmm. times, always for the positive. Rents are really going up throughout North Carolina. It's been um, a little bit amazing the rent increases that people have been able to get on existing properties that are hundreds of dollars more than it might have rented to rented for a year or two ago. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we're trying, trying to capture that moment and trying to capture that new market rent to the greatest degree possible. And if the initial rent we ask is high, then we can have that ongoing conversation with the owner and say, you know, we had some interest, but we didn't have any takers at that price. We really think getting it down to eleven ninety five instead of twelve fifty might open the doors to some more people to be interested in this. So those two things: marketable condition and uh, setting the market rent rate 
Right, are really big factors in how quickly your property will rent, and uh, and 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 also, um, you know, what rent you'll get, having a good eye on, mm-hmm. on the market at all times. Okay, so let's say showing start. You guys are showing the property. You screen applicants. What kind of criteria are you looking for before you approve a tenant for a property? Right. So we have a number of things. We are running credit report on mm-hmm. everyone who applies. And really, you're kind of in a, a minimum range of around 600. And certainly, we love it when we uh, have applicants and often do that are higher than that. But I would call 600 a, a baseline. Could there be exceptions? Could somebody have something that's been dinging their credit a little bit, but they have a great rental reference, a great job and whatnot, you might make an exception. But on the credit, that's the, uh, the general starting range right there. Verifying their income is a key element. Uh, we have a policy that we don't process their application if they're not making at least two and a half times the monthly rent. And frankly, we're just trying to save them the application fee. Uh, it's unfortunate to pay if you don't really um, have a chance. And sometimes these criteria have to be tweaked depending on the market. In a market where you end up with higher vacancy and whatnot, then maybe you have to lower your thresholds on a few things in order to keep uh, a good high occupancy rate. But in a strong market like right now, we really are looking to get three and four times um, the monthly rent to be the income of the person who's, who's applying. And we're very often getting that. Uh, Rental reference, I think, is one of the most valuable things. And that's where the previous landlord, the current landlord, is uh, we're emailing them a specific uh, questionnaire about this person's payment record, how they took care of the property, how long they've been there, what their current rental rate is, and that type of thing. And we're weighing in on that rental reference. For the most part, that's a great criteria, and, and our folks are pretty experienced at uh, recognizing when a prospective tenant is really just trying to do an end around on that, and yeah. you know, they're actually renting from Uncle Joe and, and their mom <laughs> and that type of thing. And you see that, but um, yeah. and uh, so credit, rental reference, income. We also run criminal reports, and uh, certainly if somebody has a history of uh, property damage, drugs, trafficking, or any of these things, then those would be uh, things that we're, we're not looking at. Our, there's been a, lot, a national movement to encourage a little bit of flexibility on some things because, frankly, people with minor criminal records were being held out of housing mm-hmm. in certain ways. But uh, we do uh, take the, the criminal report seriously and weigh it into account as well. So... We're often seeing that um, we are getting one to five qualified applicants in that first week or so after a property goes on the market. Mm -hmm. And if we're not getting that level of activity, that's when we want to take a stronger look at uh, the condition of the property, the rental rate and whatnot. But Devin, one more nuanced point on that that I would like to mention is Sometimes that's really just because of the competition that's on the market at that moment. Mm-hmm. So if you're the third best house in the 1200 range, 
you might not need to panic and lower the rent because if the first and the second one get rented, all of a sudden you're the best house available in yeah. the market at that yeah. range. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that can be a factor as well. What's yeah. on the market at that exact moment. Yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. You know, it's the same when you're when you're putting properties on the market to sell. If you've got a ton of properties in the same price point, but they're selling quickly, as soon as some of those circulate, then you know you'll get a little bit more uh, a more visibility. So I agree with that. And sometimes what I advise people to, if they ask me, because occasionally they'll ask, like, "Hey, do you think we should reduce the rent?" I always look at the math. If you're going to have to wait another month to get the rent that you really want, you've given away $1,200. You should have just reduced it 50 bucks, you know, because the bird in the hand (laughs) right now is let's income now versus waiting 30 days to make an extra $50 a month times 12 months. That's $600. Like that math doesn't work to me, you know? Um, so I always look at the numbers. Like if I, if a property manager, somebody who's boots on the ground, an expert in that market said to me, like, yo D we're, we're pushing the envelope here, girl. We need to cut the price by 50, hundred dollars, whatever. I'd look at the math. And if it was going to increase the probability that I could get somebody in there quicker versus waiting 30 days to get somebody at the price that I really, really wanted, that is a no brainer to me. I agree. And the same thing applies to tenant retention and rent increases. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mentioned that we're in a rising rents atmosphere, but that doesn't mean uh, over, you know, at the end of that renewal time that you go up to the absolute top of the market, because Mm -hmm. if you're raising somebody's rent $300, there's a good chance that they're going to take a look at whatever else is out there in the market. I know. Go up some portion of that and you can retain a tenant for two, three, four, and five years, uh, that's very valuable to an investor. You're avoiding, you know, you could have had five turns yeah. in five years. But I agree with that. The maintenance, don't overburden them with the rent increases while still giving it a healthy tap. Um, I think tenant retention is really towards the top of the, <laughs> top of the list on a good long-term investment. Yeah, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. Um, I've had some tenants in a house for a really, really long time. And I probably should have increased the rent a lot more, but honestly, there's such great tenants. I kind of, I'm just so grateful that I don't feel now the taxes on that property have gone up a little bit. So, you know, there's going to have to be a little bit more of an increase than maybe years prior, but like, yes. And I will, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. True, true. But I will say that you're almost doing everybody a favor if you do a small tap up every mm-hmm. year or two, because if you all of a sudden do get behind on the cash flow curve because you haven't raised rents, but other costs have increased some, that's when you end up feeling the need to do a larger increase overnight and you risk losing the tenant. So I almost feel like it's healthier, even if it's 15 or $20 mm-hmm. to do a little tap up at renewal. And you look at the situation. I mean, not necessarily, yeah. certainly the last two years or, you know, we know how different the last 16 months have been uh, than any other time. Is that on my end or yours? I think that's you. Oh, sorry about that. Um, 
so yeah, during the middle of COVID, we weren't necessarily uh, yeah out there looking for rent increases. Yeah, that'd be a bad time. <laughs> no, <not exactly. laughs> bad time. Uh, no, but that that makes a lot of sense. You know, just kind of doing it, doing an increase systematically a little bit, um, rather than waiting for something tax increase, special assessment, something like that, when you have to make a larger increase. Um, I, I agree with that thinking that that makes total sense. So uh, let's say brand new investor, you're marketing the property, you approve somebody. We basically went through all the criteria it takes to get them approved. Next step, property manager is you are going to get that tenant basically moved into the home. And what happens then? That's right. So we're going to prepare a residential rental agreement, more commonly known as a lease. Our company uses a standard North Carolina uh, residential rental agreement that was developed by the North Carolina Association of Realtors, and the, which I'm a past president of, by the way, 50,000 member North Carolina Association of Realtors, great organization, uh, and the North Carolina Bar Association. And I would uh, call the residential rental agreement a fair agreement, but also very protective of landlords and protective of all legal rights of tenants. So I feel like it's a, a, a very good lease that we can highly recommend. Hey, hey, if you are looking to transition from business owner or employee or salesperson or producer, et cetera, to investor, someone who can build long-term wealth without the hassle or the headaches, of dealing with all of the downsides that come with real estate, then you should chat with somebody on our team. You can go to wealthcapholdings.com slash book, B-O-O-K dash now, N-O-W. We have a team of licensed advisors who can help put together your game plan with your goals. Where do you want to be? How much passive cash flow do you want per year? And what markets should you be in to maximize your profitability, but at the same time, minimize and mitigate the downside. There's a lot of investment opportunities in the United States right now. But I got to be honest with you that what I've seen a lot of times, people are putting together deals for maximum profitability, but they're not respecting the risk involved in the game. Our team can help formulate a game plan for you, tell you which markets to be in, which ones to hit first. And then potentially, if we have a team in that market, even source the deals for you. There's nothing like what we're doing right now. It is top of class in every category. Wealthcapholdings.com slash book dash now. The call is free and the plans will be very, very, very valuable for you. Hope to talk soon. Now back to the show. As Baldwin Properties, we've developed our own rules and regulations that are attached to the lease, Mm -hmm. which may go into a little more detail on certain things in the lease. But more than anything, uh, we get a little bit of graphical and a little bit of bold print in there because Mm -hmm. we all know that... uh, most folks are not going to read all the fine print in a six-page lease before they move in. They're excited to move in and they sign and go. So yeah. our rules and regulations, you know, on things that are tenant responsibilities, especially and whatnot. Hey, it's a single-family house. You're going to be mowing your own lawn. Single-family house. You know, don't call us um, to unstop your commode if you stocked up your commode. Those aren't very glamorous things to talk about here on uh, <laughs> on the podcast. It's a big concern. Uh, I <laughs> People ask that. What happens yeah. if the toilet backs up? Absolutely. And so we try uh, with our rules and regulations attached to do that. There's other attachments 
that um, you know how uh, contract world <laughs> laws are these days. But for example, I think most folks that are, are investing in real estate know that lead-based paint disclosures. Mm-hmm. So if the house that we're managing for you was built prior to 1978, then you have an obligation as a property owner to at least disclose whether you know about the existence of lead-based paint, whether it's ever been tested for lead-based paint or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Most likely with most investors, the answer is they don't know, and that's fine to disclose. But right. it is a legal requirement attached to a lease in North Carolina, lead-based paint um, disclosure. So we have things like that as well that we uh, attach to it and make it a very thorough lease that I think does the best job of hopefully mitigating some of those concerns that investors uh, new and old have that at least they've got some teeth if one of those random things or occasional things that you hear about does go wrong, that at least we have the best lease available to you for protecting you and pursuing what needs to be pursued in that case. Okay, so the tenant signs the lease, they move into the house, tenant gets the utilities switched on, uh, that's, I think, important for people to know too. That's a question that they ask me often. Um, you know, in a large multifamily, if there's a different agreement, that's cool. But for most single family residential real estates, the tenant, as you mentioned, is going to be responsible for the yard care. They're going to be responsible for paying the utilities. Um, so the tenant moves in, they pay their first month's rent and security deposit to you. And then Where's the money trail? How does that work? Correct. Okay. So uh, one thing I would say, uh, for example, WealthCap man, uh, owns properties over a pretty big footprint. Mm-hmm. So all of these folks are not coming to our office to pay their rent, to sign a lease, or to do any of the above. We have an office. <laughs> we have field people who can also help with things, needless to say. But uh, you know, it's a world in which these things can be handled remotely. So we're sending a residential a rental agreement for a electronic signature, and we're sending a connection to our portal, and they're posting a security deposit, most often electronically, and uh, they are paying their rent most often electronically. And in my book, that's also a really good thing for uh property owners, the investors that we manage for, because it does increase on-time rent payment when you have automatic payments set up and Mm -hmm. portal capability instead of scheduling, instead of dropping it in the mail or instead of scheduling when you can come to the office to pay or any of those things. So, you know, they can pay through our portal using a credit card, a debit card, an e-check, any of the above. They can come by our office if they're in this uh, area. They can. There's lots of ways to pay their <laughs> their rent, so that's mm-hmm. a good thing. So we're doing that, and then there's also a move-in inspection at that point. Didn't want to skip uh, that aspect of the move-in, but as we get keys to them, then one of our field representatives will schedule with them in those early days right there to meet the tenant at the property to do a walkthrough. We give the tenant their own move-in inspection form. So they can fill it in and also document what the condition of the property was when they moved in. Uh-huh. Uh, our field rep is also going there. And so we can have an agreement that, uh, you know, as good as these outfits are, as good as the houses that we try to provide are, there can be 
nicks and scratches and whatnot, it's good to go ahead and, you know, you're not going to replace an entire countertop the first time it gets a small nick on a corner, right? So right. to the degree that that's documented, that's a good thing. It's actually a good protection for the owner and the tenant down the road. When um, that person moves out, we're breaking that move-in inspection back out of the file. That way we're not holding a tenant responsible for something in their security deposit if it was already there beforehand. But if it wasn't already there beforehand and it goes over and above normal wear and tear, then we've got good documentation mm -hmm. in order to be able to keep some security deposit to cover that issue. So moving inspection, um, both the tenant filling out the form and us taking that uh, look at the time of move in, I think it's an important, important part of the process. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I think that's important for like for the out-of-state investors to really know. In-state investors too, but basically you guys are there to be a set of eyes on the property for them. You have somebody, you know, getting this move-in checklist so that you know, like there's no such thing as a perfect house. I don't care if it's new construction, there's going to be blue tape somewhere. So there would be something on that move-in inspection. There's a whatever, you know, a paint mark over here, there, whatever. But you guys get that documented when the tenant moves in. So then when the tenant moves out, you're going to do, I would assume you're going to do another walkthrough, right? Absolutely. And there's going to be a move out inspection. So those inspections are, that's like additional verification for the out-of-state investor. They don't have to worry, you know, about what happened because you are the eyes and the ears on, on what's going on there. So they don't, they don't need to be. So this is kind of skipping forward a little bit, but let's say somebody moves out and there is something on that move out checklist, a little bit above normal wear and tear, or even if it is just wear and tear, but it needs to be taken care of to get the property rent ready. Maybe a little touch up paint, this, that, or the other. Um, you guys organize that, correct? Absolutely. Uh, yes. well, first, but first of all, as to who organizes it, I would say that we manage uh, properties for a variety of investors. So there's some cases where we manage people who do live in the market with their property and are handy and they like first shot at doing their own repairs. Sure. We manage property for people who own construction companies and we're very rarely uh, doing repairs for them. And by the way, we do uh, have something that I think works very well in our property management agreement in that regard which is if we're providing maintenance services for you, we price some of our services as a very small markup on those services, but it really helps keep everybody's management fee lower because properties that require more attention and more maintenance are paying a little bit of more for that service. Companies that don't require any maintenance attention aren't paying anything for that service. So mm -hmm. some people look at it and say, oh, you're charging a, a, a small surcharge on the maintenance, but I think it's a fair thing for, for everybody uh, because of the additional services that we provide in, um, in supervising that maintenance and also handling, you know, billment and payment of that type, billing and payment of that type of maintenance. So yes, at term time, number one, we would do that evaluation and determine what is normal wear and tear and what's over and above. Mm -hmm. So that that portion of a security deposit can be credited to the investor's account. And normal wear and tear is pretty well defined in North Carolina. I mean, everybody, I think, would think, well, you know it if you see it. 
but actually there are some nuances to this too. So for example, the carpet's seven years old and it has some stains on it that may have seemed like a little above normal wear and tear. Ah, this last tenant was a little rougher on it than the previous tenant. Yes, but in rental property, seven-year-old carpet is pretty much considered to have run its course. Mm-hmm. So if this last tenant got a stain on that carpet, you can't turn around and charge the tenant to re-carpet the entire house when the carpet was eight years old. Yeah. So that kind of thing is a little bit nuanced in how normal wear and tear is, is considered. Um, but other than that, you kind of know it when you see it, but if the walls were already going to need to be painted and hadn't been painted in five years and a kid drew on it with something, it's kind of hard to charge for that particular thing. But if you just painted it before this tenant moved in and they moved in at the end of the year, and their kids drew all over the wall, then you could paint that same wall and charge the tenant for it as being gotcha. normal wear and tear. So we try to know that those laws know how uh magistrates and whatnot look at those in uh cases and uh protect our clients by making sure that they get what they you know should get from the deposit but that they don't try to overreach (laughs) on uh, normal wear and tear yeah that that makes perfect sense and i just um it's a concern that i hear a lot from first-time investors they're like okay we're partnering with WealthCap. You're helping us find the deal. You're doing the rehab and all of that. And you've got property management. And they're like, what happens when the tenant moves out? Uh, so that was just really the main point I wanted to share with folks is that that's why we have partners like you in place um, because you're going to handle the move out and also getting the property rent ready if that's what the investor wants, right? Correct. And that last thing that you said there refers to another thing that I think we can do that uh, helps people in that early year of becoming an investor and whatnot, which is we try to tailor our communications. We try to tailor what we might move ahead with um, and do on on behalf of uh, of an owner. We try to tailor it to that owner. So Mm -hmm. we have clients that say, you know, Baldwin, please take care of it. And if we called them and, you know, told them we had to take one of your 10 tenants to court this month to pay, they would be, why are you calling me? You know, I know you guys do that stuff like clockwork. I know you deal with my issues, you deal with my problems. And uh, we've got a track record of trusting you to do that. And they don't ask us to call on things. But we've got plenty of other clients who want to be very hands-on, especially like you say, in those early years where they're getting to know us and getting to know investment. And so we try to um, tailor our services to their needs for communication and to their needs for being involved in a decision-making process. So since you touched on it, why don't we talk about some of the things that can go wrong uh, owning rental property? I don't like with anything, risk, um, like risk is part of it. With any investment, if you own a business, if you get in your car today and drive somewhere, like there's risk everywhere. That's not a big deal it, to me. It's understanding what are the risks, mitigating those risks to the best of your ability. And I just, you know, I often look at a decision like, okay, this is what it is. Here are the risks. Am I okay with those risks? If the answer is yes, then I'm gonna pull the trigger. 
and do it. Uh, if the answer is no, I'm not okay with those risks, then, you know, maybe reevaluate. So what happens when somebody doesn't pay or there's damage to the property or, you know, there's a tornado or whatever, some of those, uh, those things that can, can go wrong. Absolutely. Uh, you worded that very well. Part of investment, investing in real estate is that there are certain risks involved. And that's why investors get returns for investing in real estate because they're willing to take those risks. And then after that decision that you want to be a real estate investor and buy a property, you look and say, what are the ways that we can mitigate those risks? And I'll answer your question about what are the risks in a moment, but various things one could do to mitigate their risk. One is have the proper insurances. Mm -hmm. So, um, some of that may be obvious because your lender may require you to have these same insurances, but that's why you spend money every year on insuring your property, on having liability insurance, mm -hmm. on potentially encouraging or requiring your tenant to carry an HO4 renter's insurance policy on the property, using insurance to mitigate some of your risk. Number two, hiring a professional property manager. I think that's a great way to mitigate your risk. You're uh, introducing somebody into your landlord tenant and property relationship that has a lot of experience, that has a team, that has a lot of tools for dealing with those things. Um, yeah. you know, and, and can recognize uh, risk and help you mitigate them on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. One of the things we just discussed at some length is how do you uh, select and screen tenants. That's a big risk mitigator. Is it totally. perfect? No, we're all going to always hear stories about somebody not paying the rent. And we're going to always hear some stories about somebody doing property damage. But I will say from where I sit, managing a large number of properties that ex the, the nightmare stories that people love to tell around the uh, cocktail party are extraordinarily rare. Yeah widespread big time tenant damage is not a common thing at all. Yeah. Um, and most tenants uh, we find are, are good folks. The, you know, the old cliche that nobody takes care of something if they're renting it as if they owned it. Well, they might not a hundred percent take care of it, but a lot of them really do. We uh -huh. find that a lot of good tenants take great care of the place when they're there. And, you know, they may, plan to be there long-term, they want to have a good rental reference for the next, or they might be looking to buy a house and want a good reference that they uh, paid their rent and were a good tenant as well. So whatever their motivations are, um, we don't find it's as, as bad as people like to talk about, mm -hmm. but things happen. And so you mitigate it by having uh, a professional property manager who's involved in those situations. Some of that can just be, you know, uh, nighttime and weekend emergencies aren't the most common thing in the world, but you better be prepared to deal with them because, yeah. you know, if the uh, water heater upstairs above your condo is leaking down into your condo, it's not something that can wait till Monday morning. And, right. Uh, that's something where professional management comes into play too is 24 seven for emergency type services. Having a good lease, like I just talked about and the rules and regulations, that's another mitigator. That's another step. You know, we've seen plenty of non-professional leases that people have turned over a property to us. Oh, this is our lease. I wrote it myself. Type On a napkin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not going to hold up in court. It's not going to protect you on the things that you want to be protected on. Mm -hmm. So that's another um, 
uh, way to mitigate things. And then having uh, the eyes and ears, as you've described it, and we manage, you know, in the thousands of uh, properties, and you know, my staff can't see everything that goes on inside and outside of every property as a scattered site property manager. So I consider our team to extend beyond that. Um, our vendors who we're sending into properties, uh, they're our eyes and ears. And we have specific vendor policies that say, you know, we don't allow dangerous dogs with leases. So if it's on this list, a Rottweiler, right. bull, et cetera, that insurance companies have established what the dangerous dogs list is. So if you're one of our vendors, I don't care what you're doing in there. If you're in there, you know, to fix a leaking pipe or to do any other thing and you see a Rottweiler in there, then tell me, the <laughs> call our property manager right away and tell them. Yeah. You know, if you see one of those rare cases where somebody's very clearly moved, uh, you know, eight people in and there's four on the lease, well, call us and tell us. So mm -hmm. we really have an expanded network of eyes and ears. Um, with some wealth cap properties, I've done this uh, as, as I went out to them the first time, but you can tell you got a good neighbor there. It's great to go introduce yourself to them and give them your card. Yeah. Say, hey, keep in touch with me. The house is vacant right now. If you see anything I need to know, uh, let me know. So kind yeah. of, I call it our good neighbor policy. If a neighbor calls us and says, you know, you rented this house over on Holder Street and those people have been there three weeks and they hadn't mowed the yard yet and it's eight inches high. And, and then sometimes that neighbor, you know, might get a little ugly and blame us on that, even though you and I just discussed that the tenant's responsible for mowing the grass. Yeah. But I've trained my people to say thank you, even if they're yelling at us to say thank you. We can't be out at every property every day seeing whether they've mowed the grass. You've really helped us a lot. And we're going to yeah. be getting in touch with them right away and remind them they need to mow the grass. Here's my direct line. Please keep in touch with me if you see anything else that concerns you. So now mm -hmm. you deputize the neighbor to, to help you keep an eye on the house. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very smart. That's very smart. So <clears throat> thank you for sharing that. You know, of course, there's risk in any kind of investment. There's there's risk in a lot of things in life. And um, you've got a lot of things in place to help mitigate those risks for the investor. So I think we've talked a lot through what happens when they're, you know, first getting a tenant in place, ongoing while there's a tenant in place. You guys are the main point of contact. Nobody's calling the owner in the middle of the night. Say there is one of those 24-7 emergencies, you know, one of those middle of the night things. That middle of the night phone call is not going to go to the property owner. It's going to go to you. Um, that's the thing that I think scares people the most is like, is, is my phone going to ring in the middle of the night and or am I going to have to figure out how to fix that? And the short answer is no. Not if you are using a good property manager. Um, I wouldn't recommend just like Googling property management in a random town and see <laughs> how that works for you. Um, you know, work with partners that you, that you can trust. And we obviously trust you guys. We're sending you a ton of business <laughs> every month. Um, so from beginning throughout the lease, the move out, when it's time to find a new tenant, basically, as long as the owner is in an agreement with the property manager, you, you have a 
fiduciary responsibility to look after their property, right? Like you are, you're their, their eyes and ears, their boots on the ground. And, uh, you know, you're looking after that investment for them. What other things that maybe we haven't touched on do you think are really important for either new or even seasoned investors to know when it comes to owning property, especially out of state, or even if they're, even if they're in state that maybe I didn't think to ask you. A couple of things. One, I think it works better for the investor if they think medium and long-term. If you look at your property and what happened this month and it wasn't what you wanted to happen, you know, there's going to be months like that. There's going to be months where that maintenance issue that you didn't expect to come up is going to come up. And so, you know, it ate into some of your cash flow that month. But when they worked with folks like you and analyzed what their cash flow might be on this property that they invested in, you weren't telling them, uh, hey, we're expecting $300 a month cash flow. So every single month, you're going to look at your statement and you're going to get that check for 300 bucks. There might be months when you get more than that. Uh, there yeah. might be years. You know, I can sit here and look on our great property management software at Folio and I can track a 12 month trailing performance for any property and I can go back six years and mm-hmm. look how it did. And you know, there's years that a single family house, I look at it and the, the income was there every single month. And the only expense was paying our management fee. Yeah. And then they might've had another year where they had a turn and they had the 20 year old water heater finally went out or whatnot. And that year didn't look as good. So I think you've got to look at a real estate investment over a period of time, not yeah. a one month at a time. Oh Yeah. I agree with that a thousand percent. You know, when we put projections together for people, we base them on the low end of the rent range. Like you said, we're going to push for the moon, but we're going to, you know, we're going to base our projections on the low end of the range that data shows us is appropriate for the property. Um, And we're going to look at what is, you know, what kind of income should it, should it produce at the lower end of the rent range and also factor in some assumptions for vacancy and maintenance. So you can see like, realistically, I'm probably gonna get somewhere in between these two numbers. And again, they're projections, so they're not perfect, but um, I think that gives, that helps to, investors are never upset when we we send them over to you and they get rented at the top of the rent range, you know, like super fast, then that's just like frosting on their cupcake. But the projection they were expecting was based on a lower rent, and there's, you know, some assumptions for vacancy and maintenance. And those are their assumptions because we don't know. Just like you said, there's variables. I've had months and months and months go by with no expenses on properties. And then, you know, I've had other, other seasons where it's like, oh, once a quarter, somebody is going to stick something in the garbage disposal, uh, <laughs> you know, until we take it out or whatever the case, whatever the case may be. So I think that's a super important point. Don't look at just what happened this month or this week, but the longer term performance. Because we're not like, as you know, we don't buy real estate for just the cash it's going to produce today. Um, There's a lot more benefits over the longer term, the appreciation, the debt pay down, uh, 
you know, taking the depreciation on the taxes, like there's multiple ways that people are really building true wealth in real estate. And it doesn't happen overnight with one, with one rent check, Absolutely. you know, it takes time. Absolutely. And a uh, 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 takeoff on what you're saying there also is I find that investors can relax a little more if they just count on going ahead and knowing that they're going to pay the mortgage I, I kind of recommend paying next month's, it's almost like paying a month ahead, whether you mm -hmm. physically actually pay it a month ahead or not. But, you know, don't be sitting there on the first of the month, absolutely relying on the previous month's net income to be what you're paying your mortgage out of. Kind of get a month ahead in your in your mind and in your account. Have a buffer. To pay yeah. that. And then you're not sitting there you know, sweating it out on whether your net for this month was 200, 300, 400, or 500. Yeah, I totally I, agree with that. I think that's good. And then don't sweat out <laughs> uh, what goes on every day during the course of the month. That's part of the reason that you're, uh, you've hired a professional manager and whatnot. And, you know, I had a client not long ago call um, because it was the 12th of their month and they had noticed on the portal, I think that the tenant had only paid half of the rent. Well, the tenant had paid the full rent like 20 straight consecutive months earlier. And it was a small blip and they paid the rent almost right away after that. But it really wasn't something to be sitting around, you know, worrying about uh, you can you find lots to worry about and that's why you've outsourced a lot of your worry don't don't worry about every little day uh you know every day what's going going on there yeah you're not gonna let anything big happen and surprise you yeah i agree with that um super solid advice anything else that you think the the people of the World Wide Web or the listeners of the Portfolio Builders podcast really need to know about property management. Oh, or if, you know, folks that are outside, if they just happen to have investments in the North Carolina market and they want to get in touch with you to see about maybe having you take over their portfolio, um, that'd be something I'd love for you to share is like, how can people get in touch with you um, to find out more about your management services. Absolutely. I appreciate that opportunity. And let me say, uh, you know, whether you're looking in North Carolina where we would love to help you or elsewhere, some of the things that, you know, when you're interviewing a property management company and talking to them, uh, I think you want to find out a little bit about uh, their depth as a company, because frankly, once upon a time, this was a mom and pop industry. And I'm not saying mom and pop derogatorily. Those are, you know, backbone of America businesses. But uh, I felt like one of the things that I've been able to do with our company over the 33 years is, you know, we've got four full-time property managers. They've got six people assisting them in the field and in and out of the field. We've got an accounting department, a marketing department, administrative. You know, we got a guy with an MBA who's the manager of the managers uh, and all those types of things. So it's not like you're going to, uh, you know, we're going to tell you we're shorthanded and we just weren't able to help you out this week or that type of thing. We've got a good right. large staff. None of those people I just named were maintenance provider. That was really your management and administrative staff uh, working working for Baldwin. So not that every company needs that size staff, but you should look at it and make sure 
that uh, because, you know, if it's mom and pop and she's doing the books and he's doing the management and they go on vacation, they might not be able to service right. anything that you're, you're looking for. I say very respectfully, but that would be something. Um, I agree with that, but I also want to put out a warning and this is just from personal experience. Um, there's some like big national discount property managers and I would not... <laughs> That is like, I hate to say, they're kind of like the Walmart, you know, like, yeah, they're, they've reduced some of their fees down to the point where they're going to make them up elsewhere, just from my own experience. So sometimes I think interviewing the property manager is super duper important, but don't go with the guy that's the cheapest just because they're the cheapest, regardless of you know, whether they're mom and pop or bigger or whatever. Um, Cause sometimes you get what you pay for. And that's just my disclaimer out there. I think that's a great point. Been, <laughs> uh, the point you just made has been very good for our company's growth in recent years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to like throw anybody under the bus, but no. you know, there's, there's some folks out there that, yeah, they, I mean, and that's their value proposition is basically how cheap they are. And I would just encourage anybody, if you're shopping for somebody who's managing an asset for you, cheapest is not necessarily the best. Just saying. Agreed. And I know you've kind of uh, talked about today being a little bit of the 101 level property management talk, but if we want to do this again, there's a lot of nuances too that I'd be more than glad to you know talk with your listeners about and and whatnot on how to really get along great with your property manager and make it a great two-way street. Yeah. Oh, um, I think that's great. We can make it a little, we can make it a little series. So we'll just, as soon as we get done today, I'll shoot you a text message. We'll book another episode. Cause I think that's, uh, that's great things to do to keep tenants, to have a great relationship with your property manager, how to interview a property manager. I love it. Um, I'd welcome that. Yeah. So for the folks listening who want to get to know you, Lou Baldwin, how do they find you? So uh, our website at Baldwin Properties is www.baldwinco.com. B-A-L-D-W-I-N-C-O.com. My email address is lbaldwin at baldwinco.com. And uh, we offer, I consider us to work in the management, leasing, and sale of commercial and investment real estate. So we're not per se a residential firm where uh, homeowners are getting in the backseat of our cars on the weekends. We're certainly members of the multiple listing service, LoopNet, Crexy, CoStar, all of the above. And we can sell your residential home for you. But our specialty is selling to investors um, and selling for investors and commercial real estate units. Uh, another thing to ask your manager is, do they own investment real estate? Yeah. be an interesting um, thing for you to know. And I think uh, one thing that our company's managed to hit a sweet spot is, do I own investment real estate? Yes, I'm an active investor in real estate. But the real estate I own isn't 1% of our portfolio over here. So our bread and butter is doing a good job for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not 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 just for me and uh i think that's an important sweet spot that we've hit there's some property management companies that own 75 percent of what they're managing yeah so you might have to ask yourself you know 
are they cherry picking the best tenants that walk in the door and leaving you the others? Uh, right. There's lots of, I'm not questioning their integrity, but you know what I'm saying. I think we're yeah. in a good spot. We manage a lot of property for a lot of investors. That's our bread and butter, but we also own property ourselves and understand it from the owner's perspective. Yeah, that's super important. I am so excited we got to jump on and share today. And now I'm even more excited that we can do a little series because I think this is super valuable information um, that investors need to know, new or experienced, you know? Um, So I'm really excited. We'll get that on the books super soon and share that with the people. Uh, For anybody that's, if you're watching live today, you've been in the group for a little bit and you're not really, you know, you're thinking, okay, now I might like to get a little bit more information about what it's like to work with WealthCap. Or if you're listening to the podcast later and you want to chat with me, I am easy to find. WealthCapHoldings.com backslash waitlist will take you to, uh, to my calendar and we can jump on and chat and find out if real estate investment is something that really, you know, is a good fit for you, is now the right time. If not, I can probably point you in the right direction. Um, and if it is a good time, we can get you ready to go and on our wait list when inventory is available. So thanks so much, Lou. Super fun chatting with you. I can't wait to get to meet you in person too. Next field trip to the Charlotte market. Maybe they'll let me tag along. Uh, That'd be great. And thank you. I enjoy your podcast. I've listened to the other ones uh, that you've done and learned from them. So yay. And now you're the star. So that's super exciting. Um, Well, thanks everybody. We will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.